I'm on my second large cup of water in this past hour. Staying hydrated. Health and wealth. Jeez. Dude, health and wealth. Gotta stay hydrated, money-lated. We just gotta do all of it. <laughs> I just got one of those um, big water bottles that is like the recommended amount of water for the whole day. It's helping me out so much and I'm realizing how much I wasn't hydrating. Okay, and you look fabulous. Your skin is glowing, Dave. It's paying <laughs> off. <laughs> Let's get into it. Ready? Let's do it. Welcome to Money Baggage, a financial literacy podcast brought to you by Hightower Advisors to spread knowledge about something that affects us all. Money. We're your hosts, Joe Franco. And I'm Zave. And we're on an investigation to learn how to strategically deal with our money baggage. We're going to be covering everything from debt to savings to buying a house to budgeting, all things under the sun money to help grow that money mindset. Our hope is to help this next generation grow when it comes to financial independence. Knowledge is wealth. So let's handle this money baggage. Let's get into it. Today's topic is something I don't feel like many people talk about, and I'm very happy we are talking about it today, caring for others and what that does to your finances. It's tough. It's expensive. Hard conversations to have um, starting a family. It's crazy, Joe. Where do we start? We start with the fact that I have entered this bracket. So I turned 30 last year. I'm about to turn 31. And life is looking a little different in this decade already. And I'm starting to see it with my parents. And also being the auntie. So the way I like to look at it is if life is a seesaw, I'm now entering the middle of life seesaw where the pressure ultimately is from both sides. Because you have the younger ones growing up, you have the little ones being born, nieces, nephews, children. And then on the other side of the seesaw, you have your parents who are becoming the grandparents who are becoming a little bit older. And you are the adult who needs to not only help the younger generation, but now the older generation as well. It's crazy on this side. Zave, enjoy your 20s. Because, honey, <laughs> when you get to this side, you're just like, wow, things just got a lot deeper. Sure. What to do now, right? And hey, I'm the youngest of three. I think I'm finally at the point where my parents are no longer the caregiver for any of their kids. I was the last one, obviously. So it is different, but like I'm finally on my own. Shout out to my parents for all the financial help throughout the years. I can do it myself now. Oh, <laughs> saying hi to Zave's parents. <laughs> yeah, so I'm the youngest of three as well. My financial kind of baggage when it comes to this topic is fascinating because I didn't expect to be helping my mom or my family the way that I ended up helping them. Like I'll vividly remember, I never will forget this moment. I was on vacation with a friend and their mother and I was bringing my mom and at the hotel desk, the mom was paying for my friend and I was paying for my mom. And this sure. is just the cards I was dealt financially. And that's part of my immigration story of your mom came to the States to give you opportunity. You are the lucky recipient of that opportunity. And I took it and ran. And I developed a career for myself that allowed me financially to bring my mom to Mexico for an all-inclusive week at a resort. But oh, that's the, awesome. the reality, though, is that it means that for every dollar I'm making, a certain amount of that dollar will go towards helping my mom. And this is my choice, but I want to do that, right? Because I can. Absolutely. I, I hope it's everyone's goal to, at some point, be able to pay your parents back for the thing that they gave you the most, which is life, right? Life. I know. And that's, 
part of the reason I bought my house. So my mom was like in kind of a less than amazing living situation. And I asked her, I was like, mom, what is your plan? She was like, all three of you are grown up. You all have your lives. I'm not going to put myself in debt to buy a place. So I'm going to stay in my friends. And I'm like, mom, I don't want you to grow old in a place you can't even hang a painting on the wall. And this is actually why I decided to buy a house where I grew up near my siblings. Because even though Joe, the entrepreneur who travels around, loves cities, even though that side of me was like, buy a house in Los Angeles, by the beach. I saw the reality of my situation and how my mom is only going to keep getting older. And I'm like, let me actually help her and me and invest in property where I know she'll always have a place to be. So yes, I did move back in with my mom when I turned 30, but it was ironic because she was living with me. But it sure, still was sure. a weird dynamic. It's so it's not only <laughs> weird when it comes to your finances, but the relationships start to change. Definitely. I mean, I feel like those are a couple of uh, pretty tough conversations to have on both ends. And I guess a lot of times the parents can be a little resistant to that help. Was the transition there from caregiver to care recipient, was, was it a tough one? Oh my God, no. My mom was like, girl, thanks. You want to buy me a car next? (laughs) No reluctance there. But it was cool to be able to offer her that peace of mind. Because if you have your housing situated, then you're just a little bit more free to use your money in other ways. So actually now, talk about full circle moment. I bought my house. My mom and I live together. I'll travel. I leave. She used to take care of the house when I was gone. I've been home in my house for the past six months. My mom actually moved back to Brazil to take care of my grandfather. Oh, wow. He's 88 now. So talk about being in the middle of that seesaw. And it's just crazy to see that juxtaposition of mom needed my help. I helped mom. Mom got my help. And that help allowed her to go to Brazil to help her dad. Sure. It all comes back around, right? And this is exactly what we're talking about. Caregiving in all generations from child, parent to grandparent. All things. And I think you made a good point. I mean, I'm sure it's a more difficult conversation in other households, but like, on the other end, for me, when my parents were essentially cutting me off, they did it pretty pretty black and white. They're like, hey, man, you're an adult now. So yeah, we're done giving you money. <laughs> how did it feel? Did you grow up with an allowance? Like, how was your financial situation then? I don't think I necessarily had like a consistent allowance, but like within reason, if I got good grades and, you know, did good in sports and stuff like that, I could get the things that I wanted to within limits, obviously. But no, honestly, Joe, it felt good to me. I didn't want them to have to be responsible for me. I wanted to be able to make my own decisions with my money. Otherwise, I feel like there's this, you know, person looking back like, why'd you buy that? We gave you money for that. You know, I wanted to be able to have that financial freedom. So it was very much a we're cutting you off and I'm happily getting cut off situation. You bring up a good point. Whoever pays for the thing has the ultimate say. It's like that saying when you hear people say like, you're living under my roof. These are my rules. It's like that (laughs) Mm -hmm. energy, which I don't love. Sometimes I'm like, mom, you're living under my roof. Honestly, I'm like, I'm tempted, (laughs) but I don't. And this is why my dynamic is so fascinating because even though I'm the owner of this house, she's still my mom, right? So it's, she still tells me what to do under my (laughs) own roof. So it's weird nuanced for sure. But what you're saying I relate to wholeheartedly is the minute you have control over your finances, you're the one with the control of the direction. You don't feel guilty. You might feel guilty on your own, but it's not like you're owing anything to anyone. A hundred percent. I feel like I've always had that mindset where someday I will pay them back for everything that they have done for me. Yes. And and it likely 
it'll probably come when you're, you know, in your 30s, 40s, 50s. It'll come. <laughs> it'll come. Maybe I'll buy a house back in Vegas and, uh, you know, home is where the heart is. Let's get into some facts. What do we know about childcare in the States? Because we've been talking a lot about the child becoming the parent and the parent then nurturing their parent. What about childcare? Because I know that in my 30s, a lot of my friends are having kids. My siblings have kids. And my brother actually told me this crazy number of how much they pay for childcare. And I was just like jaw on the floor. Like with all of the other things we need to pay for, when you add childcare into the mix, it's nuts. What are the facts on childcare? Joe, it's crazy. So just for a middle income household in America, parents will spend an average of $310,000 by the time their child is born to when they turn 17 years old. So 300 grand over the span of 17 years is kids are expensive, Joe. Oh kids are my expensive. Goodness. My jaw is open. Of course, this is a podcast. Imagine my jaw on the floor. $310,000. Imagine you have a family of five. I mean, that's per kid. And that's not including things like saving up for their college, for example. You know what I mean? That's just like giving your kid what they need to grow up. It is insane. I don't think people think about that number when they're thinking about having a child. Like I had never seen a child's life quantified with such clear numbers. It's <laughs> genuinely like it's the same decision making process of do I want to buy this house? Do I want to go to this university and take out these student loans? It's like, do I have the means financially or can I anticipate having these financial means to have a child? Definitely. And I'm, and I'm glad we're having this conversation. And I think it's, it's a conversation that's been, have been having a lot more recently. Like I think, you know, as time's going on, like my generation, your generation, they're having kids at a later age because I think people are realizing that kids are not cheap. Kids are not cheap and life is getting more expensive. So yeah, fascinating, which then is actually going to likely create a crisis when we're the elderly ones and we don't have enough young people to help us as we approach that older age when we do need support. How crazy is that? Joe, you kind of just blew my mind. I didn't even think of that. Well, it's starting to show up in Japan where there is such a small amount of young people that the elderly are not getting enough care, right? Like, And there's this huge crisis of just abandonment and solitude. And also in China, in China, there's a huge crisis of an underpopulation because there was the limitations of how many kids you could have per household. When you look at that across 100 years, 60 years, by the time the parents who could only have one child are now in their 60s, 70s, 80s, there aren't enough kids that became adults to take care of them. Oh, my goodness. People are getting paid in China to have children because there's such a crisis. So this is nuts. There's got to be a middle ground here. I don't know the perfect age where I can have a kid and afford it and a couple kids to afford it so they can help me out and afford me when I'm 65, 70 years old. Yeah, this is where financial planning needs to become very much zoomed out. And it's also life planning. I think about that also. I'm the only one in my family without kids. I'm 30. My siblings are 37. My brother's 37. He has two young kids. My sister's 33. She has a son. So I'm already doing the math. I'm like, okay, by the time I'm in my 60s, if I don't have kids, who's going to be of age to like hopefully <laughs> take care? And it's like, it's not my kids, so it's not their obligation. But it's genuinely a thought on my mind. That if I don't have kids, I'm going to need to have a lot of money to put myself in a home to have sure. the support that I need. How many kids do you want to have, Joe? 
boy, now that's another podcast. <laughs> that is for another day. That is for another day. <laughs> Had you ever thought about that? Honestly, no, I haven't. This podcast is kind of blowing my mind right now. Gosh. Yeah, I mean, and I've, I've always kind of been the person that's like, kids, not kids. But now I'm like, I definitely need to have a couple of kids to help me out when I'm older. I need kids, if, if at all, because financially it's so expensive to get elderly care, which we're going to get into after childcare. But yeah, looking at this conversation as the spectrum of life from childhood to adulthood to elderly is very important because it, it's all connected. Totally. And then I just wanted to spit out this other fact here that in 28 U.S. states, the annual cost to have a child care exceeds the cost of college tuition. Oh my what? goodness. We just had that episode about how expensive college is and how student loans are killing us all. Child care is costing more than college tuition. Again, jaws on the floor, completely underground at this point, because you're telling me that you are having a child that is under your responsibility for 18 years and the annual cost is likely higher than the average rate of tuition, which is around $30,000, I believe. Like I know my college was $50,000 a year. So you do 50 grand times 18. Boy, you better have a fat salary. It is insane. I feel like so many people talk about so, so many people have to save up for their kids' college tuition. No, you get a discount once your kids go to college, apparently, because raising them is more expensive. Oh, this is nuts. Wow. I really <laughs> love this podcast because it, it does blow my mind. Like, I'm shocked. It's crazy to learn. We can't be giving these daunting facts because then people aren't going to have kids and then we're not going to have people to help us when we're old, Zave. So have kids. It's great. It'll be it's amazing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it always comes back around. It's okay. Just... uh. Meet with your advisor to ask him if you can have a kid. Yeah, yeah. And consider <laughs> the the college amount of debt you're paying per year and investment in your elderly care. Because if you do raise kids, then by the time you're older, hopefully they repay you by helping you. So there is a way to spin it. Investing in your kids is investing for your financial future as well. In your elderly <laughs> care. Exactly. In your elderly care future. So should we get into some elderly care stats and facts and talk about that a little more? Before we get into that, I do always want to have an example. Do you have any kind of like anecdote? Do you know anybody with totally. kids? What is that person's life? Totally. So I talked to my manager, Lisa Lynch, shout out to Lisa, who has two young kids. And she kind of just like walked me through. So her kids are, you know, I think they're within like three years of each other. So when they were young, you have to do things like get a nanny because everyone's going to work and pay for preschool and stuff like that. And I think this is somewhere middle class area. I don't know for sure. But she told me that from the years 2017 to 2020, three years, she was spending $544 a week for a nanny for one kid. And then the other one's in preschool, which was costing another $400 a week. So that's four grand a month about on two kids to spend just to have somebody watch them while I'm at work. Dude, this is nuts. This is like, so I run my business and I'm always doing overhead costs, fixed and marginal costs, right? Of like, how much does everything cost? And that gives me an insight of how much money I need to make if I want to make a profit. Households run in the same exact way if you're financially in tune with what's going on, which if you have children, there's no other way to be. But what you're telling me now, with two children, Lisa... And her husband or partner, Lisa's household was down $4,000 a month. So now you look at that. If you're getting paid a salary of 
$50,000 a year. I need to do this math. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> okay, $50,000 a year divided by 12. You're making $4,166 a month. If you're a single parent and you have two kids, you do not have enough money to live. So in order to have two kids in the USA, you should be making a minimum of $100,000. And then even with $100,000, you'll be making $8,333 a month, less your children's expenses. You're only making $4,000 a month. Let's say you have a mortgage that's minimum $1,000 a month, utilities, student loans, grocery bills. You will literally not be able to survive if you have two kids and a $100,000 salary. That is insane. I think it kind of made me think about how, you know, maybe sometimes in family situations, sometimes is more financially responsible to have somebody stay at home when the kids are babies, which I know is, is a common thing, having a stay at home parent. And I think a lot of people have misconceptions that they don't need to work or somebody's the breadwinner. And so dad can stay home and not work. But sometimes it makes more financial sense to quit your job and save the money on a nanny, right? I love this thinking. And this is something that I speak about with my siblings as well, because in a dual income household with children, now you have more to strategize. You have more playing cards and you really should sit down and do the math and also align it with your lifestyles and passions. But let's say somebody's a stay at home parent, but they have a business that they could do when the kids are in nap time or when the kids are playing in the playroom. That's probably a financially sound decision if you're saving four grand a month. If you're saving more than you were making monthly, why not? Right. And I think it also just relates to finding the right places to work. Like for us, we have that, you know, hybrid schedule where you can work two, three days from home a week, which is saving people money on nannies and stuff like that to be able to raise a kid and still have a job. So like times are changing. That's actually a good point. So if you're shopping around for uh, an employer, look at their benefits when it comes to childcare or flexibility in working. Because if you get three days that you could work from home and you can juggle working from home and taking care of your kids, which I think is really hard. But if they're at a, an older age where you could just have an eye out, the amount of money you'll be saving is ridiculous. I'm shocked, Zave. I wasn't really sure if I wanted kids. You know, my philosophy was always... I need to be a millionaire before I have one kid. And that's my goal. Like, I want to have okay. $1 million sitting in my bank, liquid cash. Like, okay, I'll have it invested. I'll talk to my advisor. <laughs> you already know how I am with financial risks. Like, not the most gambling <laughs> sure. of types. So I really want to have a huge net to invest in my kids because I know that that financial freedom will allow you choice and more time to enjoy your kids. I have some friends who had kids really young. They are now in their mid-30s and they want to have kids again because their young kids are now going into their teenage years, but they say they didn't even have enough money to enjoy their children. Like They were so busy trying to make money to feed the kids and clothe the kids that they didn't even enjoy parenting or like the joys of raising a child because they were so stressed financially. No, 100%. I mean, my parents were fairly young when they had the three of us, I feel like. And um I mean, there was times for sure where we couldn't do all the things that we wanted. And I think it's cool to see now them being not the oldest parents with grown kids, being able to do these family excursions and stuff like that with us all adults now. But yeah, it's a lot to think about. We're not trying to scare anyone to not have kids. Everyone does it every day. Just come up with a plan. You know, you got this. Yeah, yeah. And also look at it in the financial lens. Definitely. Okay, so we've talked about the kids. 
What about the elderly? What do we need to know here when it comes to facts? This fact kind of bummed me out that I just didn't know. And I think it has a lot to do with, you know, people not having kids and people not having making the right decisions while they're having kids financially. And so they still have to work. So 10.6 million people that are 65 or older are still in today's workforce. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. Like I'm getting older and my bones are hurting already, Zave. (laughs) I'm just looking at doubling my age, adding a five-year buffer, and I'm still working. (laughs) That's a lot of time to be working in your life. 100%. It bums me out. It does bum me out too. Also, I don't know, maybe a percentage of that, on a positive note, are people like what I anticipate myself to be who enjoys what they do and will keep working by choice. But I know a large majority of those people are people who simply cannot afford to stop working. Sure. No, that's glass half full. Some of these people love their job. They love what they do. And they're just making money still, right? But other people are probably like, "Mm, I just want to chill, but I can't. For sure. And so that kind of brings us to the next fact that it's not cheap. I mean, we said about 300K to have a kid, but on average... From 65 on, the average American will spend about $987,000 from retirement and on. So that means that you need a million dollars to retire? I think that's pretty much what it says, yeah. (laughs) I'm telling y'all, you need a million dollars per kid and a million (laughs) dollars for yourself. So if you want three kids and to retire, you need $4 million in the bank. Goodness gracious. You know, can start start contributing to that 401k as soon as possible, right? That's crazy. Okay, yeah. So this is also going back to what we said about searching for employers with benefits that help you with these life milestones and these life moments. When I learned what a 401k was, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing ever. Tell (laughs) us what it is, Dave. Give us the corporate definition of 401k. Alrighty. So in the United States, a 401k plan is an employer-sponsored defined contribution personal pension account as defined by subsection 401k in the U.S. Periodical employee contributions come directly out of their paychecks and may be matched by the employer. So this is the account that is directly going to help you in your retirement age. And if you have an employer that is matching and basically giving you an additional percent, that means that you're getting free money. Free money. The sooner, the better. It adds up slowly, but surely. Because of compounding interest. See, this is where it all gets crazy because even me as an entrepreneur, I have a 401k plan, but no one's matching that because I'm doing it myself. So it's nuts that if you are shopping around for an employer, this is something to look out for. What is their 401k benefit? Do they match you? Do they give you an additional percentage on top of what you contribute? Because that's the company essentially saying we are rewarding you for investing in your future. It is. It's so huge in the long run. It's it's something that is, you know, new to me as I'm just entering this workforce. And I'm realizing that tons of companies don't offer any matching. So I think, you know, super grateful for the situation I have now. Shout out to Hightower. Yeah. Shout out Hightower. <laughs> but yeah, just about a million dollars to retire from 65 on. Time to start wow. thinking. Time to okay. start thinking. And I mean, that doesn't just mean like, you know, you're living your life, you're on the beach every day. I think that's an average. So that includes things like people that develop these disabilities and need, you know, more enforcement or need to be in a house with a person watching them at all times and having care, you know, stuff like that. It also means the people that are just sitting on the beach 
for uh, for retirement. <laughs> wow. Let's talk a little bit about housing, because this is something I think about now as well. When I bought my house for my mom, it was very much an investment in her older years. And even thinking the basics of like, okay, it's a two-story home. Right now I'm on the top floor and she's living downstairs. And I'm like, okay, well, when she's not feeling good enough to walk down the stairs, we're going to have to switch. Like these are the things on my mind now because I'm entering this age bracket where you have to think about these things. What are the housing options as people get older? So, you know, there's three main housing options here. There's assisted living residences, there's nursing homes, and there's continuing care retirement communities. Prices range, honestly, Joe, some of them are not that cheap. They are, are not that cheap. So this is like, when you, you know what? It's fun. So it's so funny. I live in the woods in Connecticut and there are a lot of elderly homes around here. And it's like a second college. People are so stoked to be living in these homes and communities <laughs> because they're like playing tennis and going out for wine. And it's right. like luxury establishments. Those cannot be cheap to live in. I think there's such a negative connotation on some of these homes, but some of them, like you said, they, it's like college all over again. They look so fun. You know, I think there's also like neighborhoods that you have to be 50 and up to live in and stuff like that. And again, it's just, it's just these communities, just people living their lives. Um, Honestly, I'm excited. Like I'm looking for a super diverse, <laughs> culturally vibrant, elderly oh, yeah. palace, like a community. <laughs> and I'm going to be all up in and around that programming. Getting old is going to be awesome. Yeah. So should we start with assisted living residences? Yes. What is that? These are housings for those who can't live independently but needs skilled nursing care. The level of assistance varies and may include help with bathing, dressing, meals, housekeeping, etc. The costs vary. So the median price here is about $4,500 a month, Joe. That's so expensive. So this is on the higher end, you know, but these are the people that need it the most. You know, they need somebody that has a full-time job to watch over you. That's $54,000 a year, which is great when you consider the fact that to stay alive and live a comfortable life, this is the cost. 54 sure. k a year minimum. Mm -hmm. And if you have that, you know, $900 saved up, it's it's feasible. It's, it's why people have 401ks. It's why you start planning. Or $900,000, you're saying. So this is where the million yeah. dollars, the pool of a million dollars that you're saving for retirement is what you're going to use to pay for this 54K potential assisted living situation. Mm -hmm. So, and then there's the continuing care retirement communities. So these are designed to meet the changing needs of older people. These facilities provide a variety of housing options and services on the same campus. A resident might start living out independently and then transition to assisted living environment and, or stay in the nursing unit when ongoing skilled nursing care is required. This is more expensive housing option. Expect a sizable entrance fee and monthly charges. This is the college of the nursing home chapter. <laughs> sure. It's got the diversity. It's got everything you need. They're there if you need it and you need to pay more, but also it's if you just need to live somewhere and have friends. And have so much fun and play your tennis and golf. <laughs> So these ones have entrance fees. They range from $20,000 to $500,000 on the higher end. Dang, <laughs> luxury. You better be sleeping on a bed frame made of crystals. Like what? Right. And then the monthly fees range from $500 to $3,000. So a little bit cheaper. Obviously, there's some that are a decent amount affordable, especially if you don't need that consistent care. 
Wow, that's really wild. Variable prices, but something to think about. And then nursing homes, what's that about? And then nursing homes. So nursing homes offering skilled nursing care and substantial long-term assistance. These homes provide meals as well as medical and personal care. Bedrooms and baths may be private or shared. Medicare and Medicaid may provide some coverage. Price will vary on care and health care needs, type of room, location of nursing home. I mean, so these ones, are they're a little bit like college too. Except like with a medical professional, like this is the medical professional version of... Because you can have shared situations. Although assisted living is similar, but it mm-hmm. seems like this is the most medical of them all. Like if you have conditions where you need a nurse on call, you're going to go to a nursing home. But it, it, it does seem like it kind of pulls together people with like-minded disabilities and stuff like that. So I think that's one of the positives is that you're not alone in there. You have other people, you have your quote unquote roommates in there. And this is, these are external options that cost money because there's always the fourth option, which is definitely more popular in cultures that are more collective. I'm Brazilian, so we're big on family. And it's actually an insult if you put your parent in a nursing home or in assisted right. living or in a community like that. Like It is seen as an, the ultimate sign of disrespect and neglect culturally. And I know that Brazilian culture is not the only one that feels this way. In the States, I think the branding is a little bit less shocking. It's just a part of life for the most part in the States. But for any family, this is a journal prompt. The prompt that I would ask you is to think about this, like, how does your family see nursing homes or elderly care? Do you come from a collective family or a more individualistic family where it's basically like you're on your own. Like as you get older, you have to resolve your own problems. Because when you start thinking about that, it's going to give you an idea of what the next few years of your life is going to look like. If you're from a collective home like mine, I know that when my mom gets to the age where she really needs help, it'll it'll be the responsibility of me and my siblings. Whereas if I came from a different culture, it would be assumed mom is going to live in a community and we have to chip in financially to help her. There's a cost in both scenarios. There's definitely an emotional cost on the version of your parent needing your help. My mom in Brazil right now is helping my grandfather and she's cooking and she's cleaning and she's just with him 24 seven. And that takes emotional toll on you. Totally. I mean, I think there's I mean, there's an emotional toll on on these, you know, assisted living homes as well, though, you know, because. I mean, you just don't know what your your parents are going through in there. You know, you, sometimes these these homes can be taking advantage of people financially as well, you know. So I think either way, it's important to be a part of the conversations being had. I think a lot of it boils down to preference. There's some parents that are like, I'm obviously moving in with you. But then there's some parents that are like, no way. We want to go enjoy our retirement with friends and, and party it up, you know. It would be an interesting conversation to start talking about it now in our 20s and 30s and ask our parents, what is their dream vision of their older years? Because it'll help you retrospectively plan for whether they're moving in with you or one of your siblings and talk to your siblings. If you have siblings, who's taking on this, you know, this project, this responsibility, because what you don't want is to get to that stage in your life and fumble financially and emotionally because you haven't had the conversations beforehand. Totally have those conversations sooner than later, because then, you know, they might just knock on your door one day and say, hey, we're moving in. (laughs) And you're like, oh, wow. okay." (laughs) Hey, mom and dad. (laughs) Okay. So let's just wrap up with final takeaways. What do you think, Zave? What has this conversation made you realize, if anything at all? Definitely. I think the time when I'm ready to have a kid, first of all, 
takes a lot more thought and planning financially and personally before taking that step. But I'm motivated. Like It can happen. It's not an unreasonable thing. Everyone does it every day. I think I need to get my parents on the phone and just kind of thank them, first of all, for raising me and um, just kind of having those conversations about their future. I never really thought about, I mean, this episode kind of blew my mind thinking about caregiver turned care recipient. It's just nothing I've never really thought about. So I think that's my other big takeaway here. Yeah, this is the journey I've been on for the last five years, but definitely it's getting more intense as I get older. And you see it on both spectrums with my niece and nephews getting older and looking at me like I am the adult and me having to instill values that I have received from my grandparents, my, you know, my parents into them. And then also seeing my parents getting older and trying to talk about it with my siblings, it's almost like now is the time to have these conversations because it will only get a little bit more intense as we get older. And the best we can do is plan for it. This is a a natural part of life. We will all age if we're lucky. And when it comes to your finances, it's really important that you have a plan because otherwise you're going to be waking up, going to sleep (laughs) with money baggage. (laughs) And that's what we're here (laughs) to unpack. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is all about bringing financial literacy so we can become a little bit more financially savvy and independent. It is brought to you by Hightower Advisors, which is also Zave's workplace. And I'm just happy to be here co-hosting with you. Joe, I'm so glad. And, and honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for you to uh, kind of open up and learn about a lot of these next steps here. So I really appreciate it. Don't forget to, you know, give us five stars wherever you get your podcasts. Slide into Joe's DMs and ask us any anonymous questions about money baggage that you want answered. We are chock full of these episodes. I am personally loving this journey and I'm growing financially with my knowledge. And you know, if the hosts are growing, then the audience has to be growing too. And there's nothing I love more than a collective growth moment. We'll be back next week with another episode and we'll see you soon. See you then. Bye. This podcast is a simulation and is for educational purposes only. Joe Franco is presenting the information in this podcast in her capacity as a consultant to Hightower Holding LLC and its affiliates and subsidiaries and not as an actual client of Hightower Advisors LLC. The material provided in this podcast is prepared and researched by its author and does not service as an endorsement or a reflection of the views of Hightower Holding LLC or any of its affiliates. Hightower does not make any representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of the information contained herein. Hightower Advisors LLC is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC member FNIRA SIPC.